examined before, but I don't think we've ever done it on a Sunday morning uh, like uh, we are this morning. John chapter 17, and if you like titles to messages, it's the Lord's Prayer. And somebody said, well, wait, wait a minute, I thought that was our Father which art in heaven. Actually, uh, that prayer, uh, Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, ought to be called the disciples' prayer, maybe the Christians' prayer, teaching us how we ought to pray. But uh, last Sunday morning, we were in John chapter 14, and uh, we are in the same context as we were then. Jesus has just finished explaining to the disciples that before the sun comes up the next morning, they're all going to be hiding. They're all going to be denying that they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. We often get caught up, and of course, Peter, as he always did, made the biggest show and the biggest mess of things that was possible. But was it any less of a denial of the Lord Jesus to hide in a hole somewhere than it was to say, I don't know him? Uh, I'll tell you, This disheartened the disciples, and Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. And we went through chapter 14, but John chapter 17, I I believe, is one of the most neglected chapters in our Bible. It's not easy reading. But truly, this was the Lord's prayer. In just a few moments, He would fall on His face in Gethsemane's garden, and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. I still believe that the garden of Gethsemane, I cannot believe it was Jesus trying to get strength to endure the cross. He was God. He had prepared for that. Amen? I believe Gethsemane's garden was an opportunity for you and I to see the anguish, the passion, the greatness of what was about to transpire on Calvary's Mount. This was not a simple thing. This was not just Jesus died on the cross. This was Father. If there's any way possible, if there's anything that can be done to save me from this cup, let's do it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Many of Jesus' prayers were for our benefit, to teach us, to show us. At Lazarus' tomb, he said, Father, I I call upon you not because I'm afraid you can't hear me, But I want to show these people here that what's about to happen is directly done through the power of the creator God of the universe, not any other agency known to mankind. But here in John chapter 17, we have Jesus praying. It ought to make us sit up and take note. It ought to make us want to look at what Jesus... We already heard a message on prayer about for our missionaries. 
And uh, somebody was asking me, do we have a list of missionaries? Every, Monday, every first Sunday, we pray for our missionaries by name. And uh, we, we believe in prayer. But I dare say not a one of us here would say my prayer life is everything it ought to be. I'm not going to say that because I would be disobeying another commandment. Thou shalt not lie. The truth of the matter is prayer is one of those things you will work on until there's no need for prayer anymore. That's when we will be with Christ. Amen. I got a text Saturday morning as we were trying to recover from the wedding. And it said, Carolina's in labor. Pray. I'll tell you what, we prayed. I got a text about an hour later. Little Anna's here. Everything's fine. I'm going, I prayed again. Thank you, Lord, for answering those prayers. Prayer is important. But you know, we waste a lot of prayer. We're speeding down the highway and we see a police officer. Lord, please don't let me get a ticket. Now, how many of you have ever prayed that prayer? I, I want to tell you, it didn't get any higher than the roof of your automobile. All right. Uh, how many of you had a test that you forgot about and you didn't study for and you said, Lord, help me remember. Lord doesn't listen to those prayers because they're not based on faith. And if the Lord did answer those prayers, what would you be encouraged to do? Speed more, not study more. I mean, all of the bad things, God will never encourage you to do wrong. Now, Jesus always prayed for what God wanted to happen. And that's one of the reasons why we need to study this prayer this morning. And you and your hearts need to be praying because I, I think I could easily go to about 2.30 or 3 o'clock and still not cover everything that is in this chapter. And I have no intentions of doing that, all right? I don't say that to scare you, but what I want you to do is to be in prayer in your hearts that God will help me to cover the important parts so that the Holy Spirit will be able to speak to our hearts this morning and that our time here will be spent in worship. Prayer is one of the forms of worship in the Bible. And we are here to worship God this morning. Let's try that again. Are you here to worship God this morning? That's a little better. We must pray, but we must pray biblically. And what I want us to do... I'm going to take time this morning to read the entire chapter, and I want you to follow along with me. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour 
is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father... Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world, thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. They have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee. And these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me from before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these 
have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And God's people said, This is the Lord's Prayer. Now, we like that last verse. It talks about love. Uh, We just came from a wedding. A lot of love in a wedding. Amen? And uh, somebody said, you know, they waited until they got married for that first kiss, but it didn't take them long to figure out how that thing works. And say, well, wait a minute there. You got your whole rest of your life. Slow down a little bit. But it was a great time. And we praise the Lord. But I want to tell you something today. You don't get to the last verse until you've gone through all the rest. You want to enjoy the love of God in your life. And only a fool would reject that. You've got to start at the beginning. You see, love is not just a warm, mushy-gushy feeling inside. Of course, you know the recipe for warm, mushy-gushy feelings. How many remember that? It's one word, oatmeal. I mean, it does work. You get all full of oatmeal and you do feel warm and mushy-gushy inside, but it ain't love. Love accomplishes things. Love is what sent the Savior to the cross. Love is why we're here this morning. You should be here because you love the Savior. You should be here because you want the love of the Savior active in your life. Amen? But let's get back to the beginning. What was the first request in Jesus' prayer? Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son. What does it mean to glorify God? We could spend a month of Sundays just looking at that one sentence and still never probe the depths. But the idea here is, the idea of glorifying God is lifting up His name. Now, years ago, I was driving through New York City, and I can't remember exactly where we were. This was way before there was any hope of an open-door Bible Baptist church. We were just visiting here, and, and I was still praying that somehow God would send us here to start a church. And we rounded a corner, and I just happened to snap a picture out of the back uh, of, uh, of the car we were in, out of the back window. There was a sign on this marble facade of a building, and it said, the good old days. Now, underneath the sign was an indigent. That's really a nice word for someone who refuses to take care of themselves. Uh, We would say a drunken bum. One shoe on, 
one shoe off, sprawled out on a little step underneath the sign that said the good old days. And I just want to challenge you that every time we think we're lifting up the name of God, maybe we're not doing a very good job. Just like the bum under the sign, the good old days. Maybe those days weren't so good after all. I mean, he surely advertised that fact, did he not? Uh, and, and you couldn't pose a picture like that if you wanted. It was just one of those accidents of snapping the picture. It wasn't until I got it developed long before the days of electronic photography that, I, boy, what a picture. You could win contests with this thing. But the simple truth is, why do we lift up God's name? He gave me what I wanted. Does that glorify God? Jesus says, glorify thy son. That was his first request. Ultimately, that request would be answered at the empty tomb. Amen? But before he got to the tomb, he had to endure Calvary's cross. Jesus was not separating the suffering of the cross from his resurrected appearance as the God of life and of death. Glorify thy son. Why do we worship Jesus today? Because he died in my place. He as God of heaven, the innocent suffering for the guilty. And Jesus' request was to glorify the Son. But there was a purpose in this request. He said, God, I want you to glorify me because I want to be able to glorify you. Now, If you really want to worship God, if you want to glorify the Son and the Father, could I challenge you today that that cannot happen with human effort? That there is nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nothing you can pray, nothing you can accomplish that will be worthy of bringing one iota of glory to the Father. Would you agree with me on that statement? If you don't, you've got greater problems than you could imagine. So where am I going to get what I need to glorify God? You're going to have to get it from God. This is what Jesus was praying here. You know, when Jesus prayed... He always prayed according to God's will. And he's saying, glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. We're going to find out later in this prayer that he says, I've given them, talking about us, his glory. What are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to use it 
to glorify the Father. That's practicing for heaven, my friend. We'll have crowns to cast at his feet in heaven. He wants to give you his glory so that you can glorify him. So that you will not, in the sight of God, be like the bum laying under the sign the good old days. And so much of what we call worship is much more offensive than that. Getting up to a rock band and swaying back and forth and saying, God be praised, is blasphemy. We don't go to the world. We're going to find that out in a moment. It's in this prayer. If you want to glorify God with your life, you're going to have to get something from God. Glory. To give back to God. Now that's a prayer that Jesus will answer. He gives his statement of power here. And the definition of eternal life. Jesus is saying, listen, I have power over all flesh. I have power of eternal life. And yet, God, with all of this power that I have, I am coming to you and asking you to give me glory that I may give it to you. Now, if that's the prayer of our Lord, how desperately in need do you and I have to pray this same prayer? And if you want eternal life, here's what it is. that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, you know, we hear that. Oh, yes, I know who God is. Well, read James chapter 1. So's the devil. Amen. Big deal. Does God know you? I mean, this idea of knowing I mean, if President Obama were to walk in, who would not know who he is? We have anybody here that wouldn't be able to recognize the President of the United States? I don't think so. I mean, we're all sitting there. What is he doing in church? Uh, But the simple truth of the matter is, would he know anybody in here? Hey, Pete, good to see you. There's another lie. You have never met me before in your life. Amen? I don't know who you are. Oftentimes we treat God that way. We pray, we talk to Him. But you see, if we know Him, He knows us. And part of that knowing of each other is what we call a relationship. I did not say this at the wedding. I was very good. But marriage is God's institution for the blind. You see, love is blind. But after marriage, blind eyes do see now, don't they? 
I mean, you learn about each other. Things you never knew. They're human. But that's a good thing because so are you. Amen? But do you know God? In knowing another person and another person knowing you, there is a blending there. There is a learning of their desires and what they want. And, and there, if, if love ensues in that relationship, there is a desire upon the part of one who loves another to please and to do those things which would please the other person. Amen? Is that how we live? Do we want to please the God that we know? How much has God done for you? You have life. You have His Word. We have the fellowship of believers. We have all of these things. We have the prayers of God's people. We have so much that has been given to us by God. Eternal life is to know God the Father, God the Son. By the way, if you know God the Father and God the Son, you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, verse 5 is an astounding verse to me. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, Jesus was looking to the cross when he uttered these words. Jesus wasn't praying amiss. He wasn't praying only for resurrection. He was talking about this entire suffering that he would go through. How did the creator God of heaven... I mean, this was the same God that sent fiery serpents among the children of Israel. That sent his messenger Moses to point his finger in Pharaoh's face and say... Every firstborn in the nation is going to die. And it happened. The waters of the Red Sea came in and destroyed the most powerful army on the face of the earth. Now, how God did that in six inches of water, I'll never figure it out. But no, some people want to make fun of the Red Sea and all of that. There is enough water to destroy the most powerful army on the face of this earth. Let me tell you, there's more than six inches of water there. It was God. And yet this same God who had spoken, who would speak in the garden when he said, he said, whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am him. And they all fell down on the ground. And yet just a few hours later, those same men that fell on their faces before his spoken word spit in his face, pulled his beard from his face, slapped him, buffeted him, blasphemed him in every way. And he did not utter a word in his own defense. 
Can I challenge you? That is the glory of the Father. Is not the greatest thing we lift up His name and worship Him for because if we can just put it in the vernacular, He puts up with us. He, he forgives us. He justifies us. He erases our sin record. All because of the cross. That's why Jesus said, Glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. All he would have had to do is peel back the veil and this entire world had have disintegrated at his feet, and the angels could have got out the cosmic dustpan and put it all in, and it would have all been over. But he endured the cross for you and I. That is his glory. Amen? But look at verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me. Now, this next phrase, just one of those ones that gets a hold of me. Out of the world. It says, I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me. Out of the world, thine they were. And thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Jesus saying, listen... I've taught these men, and they've come out of the world. The new movement in Christianity, quote-unquote today, all that calls itself Christian is not Christian. We understand that. It was just getting a foothold when I was a Bible college student over 26, 27 years ago. We just had. Music people starting to look beyond the scope of what was sacred and what was known to be God-honoring and saying, listen, we're, we're missing out on the world in which we live. We could bring so many people in. And you know what? They've proved their point. In fact, I know of a church that lost 500 members at one time. Because the church across town had a better rock band than they did. We don't have 500 people to lose. That's hard for me to imagine. But the biggest assemblies who call themselves churches today Use worldly marketing, methods, music. Boy, that was an alliterated sermon. Uh, to draw people in, and they are drawing the biggest crowds. Realize your inner self. I hope I never do. God's already told me what's there. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the farther I stay away from it, the better I'll be. Amen. He said, 
I've called them out of the world. We're not to be a part of what is going on because if we are, God can't give us our glory, His glory, and we can't give it back to Him. That's the theme of this prayer, is the glorification of God. And you know what? It's hard to preach on that because most people are, okay, yeah, we're supposed to glorify God. Oh, Jesus, thank you for this food. I glorify God. You know, I, I go to work and I pay my bills and I do... That's not glorifying God. God wants to do something in your life that the world recognizes cannot and has not come from the world. It's not just having a good life. It's not just paying your bills. It's not just doing what you ought to do. It's in His name. And how many times do we see, look at verse 8, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. Verse 9, I pray for them. You know, the, the Calvinists take everything to an extreme. Jesus is not saying here he would not pray for anybody else. It says, for God so loved the world. But when God goes to the effort of prayer, when Jesus says, I am going to the Father in prayer, I'm not praying God bless everybody. I'm praying God bless the people that are in my word, that are out of this world, that are willing to separate because of the name of God. Well, that's hard to do now, isn't it? People might think less of me. I get so tired of this phrase. I've heard it so many times. Well, you can be so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. Well, you can be so earthly minded that you'll be no heavenly good and you're going to be in heaven a lot longer than you'll be on earth, my friend. Let's get our priorities straight. Amen? Let's turn this thing around. This is what Jesus was praying for. And then he said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And we go into this next little phrase, uh, passage here. And, and I love what our translators have done with this in the English. I mean, it is... It is poetry, is it not, that all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them? I mean, they have put this thing together. You see, when you get saved, you're born into God's family, amen? That means you belong to Him. Now, I love every child that comes into this church. Pastor, can I get a drink of water? I'm going to do everything I can for you. You got a question about the Bible? I'm going to take whatever time. I had a little boy come up the other day. Pastor, I want to get saved. I'll tell you what, nothing brings more joy to my heart than being able to open God's Word with a little child because God's got that whole life, not just part of it at the end. Amen? 
Pastor, I want to go to college. Well, I can give you some recommendations, but mom and dad are going to have to pay the bill. I mean, there's a line there. Amen? Uh, It can only go so far. But when God's your father, where's the line, my friend? Where is the end of his ability to supply what we need? Where is the line that God says, I can only go this far? He said, I've already given you the kingdom. He said, I've given you eternal life. What in the world more could you possibly want that isn't sin? Ooh. You see, we belong to God. There's a lot of talk about self-esteem, and we could spend the whole morning here. You know what? I feel good about myself for one reason. I belong to God. I don't feel good about anything I've done. I don't feel good about the things that... that, uh, I might have accomplished or, or recognition that may be received or not, I, I'm perfectly satisfied because God says, you belong to me. What other degree or recognition could possibly compare to the fact that God says, you belong to me. I know you. My prayers are there. My supply is there. You are my child. But there's something that he wants to do. He wants to be glorified in us. Now, how do we do that? Well, you've got to go to him and get his glory so that you can bring it back to God. You know, we've had some be- two beautiful weddings this summer. And I think the thing that has made them beautiful is the fact that both couples have wanted to please God with their lives. Amen? And we look at the stories. I mean, only God could have brought Franz and Ashley together. I mean, Sonia, I'll get the names right. It's been a long week, friends. Be patient with your preacher. And my wife and I have often discussed, where in the world are we going to find a girl that could put up with Peter? I mean, I knew it was heading in the right direction when he started giving me the word count from their first email exchange. Does anybody remember that? Total word count, over a quarter of a million words in six weeks. And I said, okay, Peter, that was, what is the percentage? Give me the breakdown on that. 90 10? 90% Peter, 10%? No, he said, 50 50, Dad. She keeps up with me word for word. I said, oh my, this is going to get serious fast now, isn't it? And it did, and it was of God. But when people obey God, it brings glory to His name. Amen? And God wants to be glorified 
in the lives of those that belong to him. He prayed for it on the way to Gethsemane. I believe God's glorified when a young man says, I want to go to India and minister to the nation of Islam. Not Louis Farrakhan, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. To Islamic people in India. I want to support this guy. I want our church to have a part in that when we get before the throne. But we need more wherewithal. You say, well, we're stretched to our limit already. Yeah? Uh, But God's got bigger limits than we do. Amen? And let's pray about that. And let's seek what God would have us to do. Verse 12 And he says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Don't misunderstand what's being said here. Judas did not lose his salvation. He refused the position that God offered him. He was named as a disciple. He was named as a leader. But Judas never had faith in God. That's why when you have questions about your salvation, don't say, but I've always loved the Bible, therefore I must be saved. Judas loved the Bible. Well, God has answered prayer. Judas did miracles in Jesus' name. God is willing to use anyone. But the scripture had to be fulfilled. And Judas volunteered for the job. Why? Because he loved money more than the Savior. You want an illustration of... 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's what sent Judas to the Pharisees. It's no more complicated than that. The scripture had to be fulfilled. Somebody had to be the physical betrayer. Judas is called the son of perdition. Why? Because he was so much like the real thing that nobody could tell the difference. That is the true and greatest perdition known to the Word of God. You know what? You're here on Sunday morning. Nobody's going to walk up to you and say, Hey, I don't think you're saved. You need to get saved. Somebody comes in and says, Pastor, I love Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm going to believe you. I want to believe that about you. But here in this prayer, he takes time to note that there are going to be those that are so close to the real thing that never had the real salvation. We would be amiss if we went through this prayer and didn't touch on this this morning. But it gets better. Look at verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. We live in an evil world. We live in a world that is full of preachers of the gospel that can no longer stand in pulpits because of evil that they have participated in. We live in a world where young couples walk down the aisle and pretend that everything is just the way it ought to be when it never was. I'll tell you what. Somebody says, well, how do you know your son never held her hand before he did walk down the aisle? Well, number one, both he and his wife gave testimony to that fact. And you don't have to know Peter very long to know he may be a lot of things, but he's not a liar. He is honest as the day is long. He was trained that way because of the words in this book called the Bible. And by the way, he was under surveillance. Just as mom and dad were when they were dating. You say, that's so ridiculous. You're adults. Somebody should trust you. No. You're sinners. Somebody should help you be trustworthy. Amen? Don't you believe that you're capable of doing wrong? Then you need somebody to watch you. That's what church is about, by the way. It's a place where you get encouraged to do right. And if you do wrong, I hope somebody catches you. You say, well, what do I do if I catch somebody? Go talk to them. Amen? And say, hey, what? what? You said, uh, uh, yeah. Are you going to get this right with the Lord? Nine, uh, 99 times out of 100. You won't even have to say anything. Just show up. It'll solve that problem. Amen? Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is how we live in the world. This is how we're different from the world. You say, do I have to be as weird as you are? No. That's hard to do. But... If you will just obey the Bible, the thing I, I really love, and this has happened several times, I enjoy it every time, is God will give me an opportunity to talk to one of those uh, tackle box people. Uh, I mean, I have a little box full of hooks and pins and things that I use for fishing. It just looks like they stuck their face down in there and had all these piercings and 14 colors of hair heading in 25 different directions. And every once in a while, uh, I'll be able to give a track and they'll actually take it. And they'll look at me and I'll say, this is a gospel track. And, and we'll talk for a few minutes and inevitably it comes out. You're weird. Now, I love it when somebody like that calls me weird. I know I'm heading in the right direction. Amen. Listen, sanctify, that word means to make holy, to make separate. 
You're going to have that happen through this book. Let it make decisions. Let it teach you and guide you where you are to go. Look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. As Jesus was on his way to Gethsemane, he not only thought about the disciples who were walking with him, he was praying for you and I here today. Because it is their words recorded in the scriptures how you got saved. And this prayer ends, and, and I, I, I just wish, maybe I should have divided this sermon up into three or four Sundays, but I, I don't want to miss the continuity of the entire prayer. He goes right back to the beginning, only instead of using the word glorify, he uses the word one. He uses the word, um, let's, let me just read a few verses here. Verse 21, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world might believe, may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Years ago we were on vacation with the little kids and we were camping in wilderness. No running water, no, no nothing. It was church night during the week. Sarah and Andrew may remember this. So we started in the middle of the afternoon, boiling water over the campfire so that we could scrub the dirty little faces and get everybody cleaned up and, and uh, dressed the way that, so we could be presentable to go to church. We got to church. There's nobody there. And we're sitting there going, what in the world is going on? And later on, we were in some little store, and I said, man, I'm just going to ask, uh, do you know about that church down there? Oh, yeah, that's the church where they fight. Everybody in town knew about that little Baptist church is where the people argued with one another and fought. I'll tell you what, that doesn't glorify God. We've had our little disagreements here over the years. Praise God, they've been a little. But let me tell you something. Is there anything that is worth spoiling what God wants to do in our church? If it's not worth destroying the work of God through our church, let me tell you something. You just give it to God and let Him take care of it. He will. God 
always rights wrongs. And it's a whole lot better if you just give that thing to God and let Him write it than trying to straighten out something yourself. Well, they're not very Christian in the way they treat me. Well, you know something? You've been there too, my friend. I'm glad doesn't God does not call me into account for every sin that I've ever committed because it's under the blood of Jesus. Amen. So don't get too excited when God doesn't call someone else into account for what they've done. Amen. Uh, that's what real forgiveness is all about. It's letting God handle it instead of you trying to. It'll save you. And you know what? It'll allow you to love the unlovely. And that's the hallmark of true Christianity, is it not? They'll know you are my disciples. Just chapter or so before where we are. Your love, one for another. Our unity. I am so thankful. When I was a student, I remember preachers coming in and preaching. We need to forget about all these little petty things. Like which version of the Bible you use and how a person is baptized. And, and we just need to have unity. That's not unity. That's compromise. Unity is based upon the words of this book. He gave us his words. We are one because we believe his words. Amen. My unity is I believe the God that saved me will save you. Amen. We believe in the same Jesus and that gives us a togetherness. I have no right to hold anything against you. That God is willing to forgive you for. Let's have that unity that he's speaking here. We know. Verse 20, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. Don't be surprised when your family and friends say, You go to church how many times a week? You, you put what in the offering plate? You, you, you do all of those things for church? It says, But I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. You know, you want to do something to, to really get yourself in good with somebody. Love their kids. When you get saved, guess what? You become God's child. You love his children. And you can share God's love. That's what this verse is talking about here. But you know what? We don't know how to love one another as we should until we get God's words in us. And that's where we got to start. I can't glorify him until I get a little bit of his glory to give back to him because nothing else is acceptable to God. 
He has given us His words. He has given us everything that we need to glorify Him. This is the Lord's Prayer. How can we glorify Him? By living this week in a way that makes people step up and take notice of how good God is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would keep our minds from being distracted. That we would look at the unbelievably great truths that are housed in this prayer. This prayer is what you prayed for. These things were your request to the Father as you were on your way to Gethsemane. Dear God in heaven, we pray that you would put those desires in our hearts according to your words. That our little church would be able to glorify thee in this world and in the world to come. Lord, I pray for those that might be here today who are unsaved, that they would understand they're on the outside looking in here. This sermon really had no particular application for them for whatsoever, except that if they would like to be included in this In this prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, they must believe on him through the words of those men that he trained and sent. Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to have his will and his way. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, come lead us 300.